0: We are in the One Prayer series. There are 1,356 churches globally doing the exact same thing right now. 1,356 churches that are all participating in One Prayer. And I just think, you know, as a God who has a bunch of kids on the planet... You know it blesses him to see his kids kind of getting along and doing the same thing. And so I believe it fulfills the one prayer that Jesus had, and that is that they might be one. And today, in some small way, uh, there are about 1,300 churches fulfilling Jesus' prayer today, and I know it honors him. Uh, Today, I've been asked to share my one prayer. It's very simple for me to come up with what that would be. Um, And today, I want to share with you a prayer that actually is a spiritual discipline that you need during tough times. Now, I'm personally going through a very difficult time right now. In fact, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to be here because we've been told, I was told two weeks ago that my dad had two weeks to live. Uh, he's, he's standing strong and we're still trusting the Lord. And, and I even called uh, Pastor Robert and I said, man, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to be there and, and I'll still try to come if, if, you know, if, if, if things are going well at the house and my dad's doing well. And, and, uh, but we're just standing through that. And any of you have ever walked through something like that, it's pretty difficult it's, um, you know, you have to, you deal with a lot of things. You deal with your emotions and you're dealing with your family and you're dealing with, you know, watching him. He's been battling cancer for about two and a half years now. And just to watch that process. And then you're trusting the Lord. And then you know what you believe about the scriptures. And you, man, you, you start even questioning your theology and your faith. And what am I doing? And what's going on here? And it just, honestly, very honestly, it, it can get a bit confusing from time to time. And I think all of us are going to face difficult times from time to time. In fact, the Bible says that there will be terrible times in the last days. You're going to have, it's going to be a rough ride. Jesus even gave it to you as a promise that in this world, you're going to have trouble. Nobody writes that out and puts it on the refrigerator. That's my verse right there. I just love that verse. That's my verse. No, you know, we hate that verse, right? Right. And we, think, we even think that, that really God obligated himself to make sure we never have trouble. It's not true. In fact, he promised you will. His promise was that in the middle of trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. He never said you were going to have trouble, you, I'd keep you from trouble. He always promised that in the middle of it, you rise above it. And there are some secrets to rising above your trouble. And today, that's going to be my prayer because I'm in the middle of some trouble. I have a... As we and say, I have a sick heart, the malakur. I, I have a little, you know, just my heart hurts a little bit for my dad. And just watching what he's going through. And, and, uh, and so today I want to share with you my, um, my one prayer. To do that, I'm gonna sh- we're going to examine the scriptures. And in, and in gateway fashion, we're going to look at two passages of scripture, all right? So turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter two, and then I want you to put that marker that Pastor Robert always talks about in, in uh, I want you to turn there to, um, to, where are we going next? I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians four, Ecclesiastes two and 2 Corinthians four, all right? And Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would touch someone today, especially those who are hurting and who have a sick heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And in in Ecclesiastes chapter two, we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, We're going to look at a guy that you know real well. He wrote most of the Proverbs, a guy named Solomon, King David's son. The reason why I want to point his life out today is Solomon had it all. If if Solomon would have been alive today, he'd be living in South Lake, Texas. Can I tell you? All right. He, he had it all. He's living in a great place. He's wise, smart, He had everything he could possibly want. He had lots of money. Just a great guy, great guy. But life wasn't working out so well. And the reason why I want to point out his life is because a lot of times we think that if we get a lot of stuff or we get things to work out here on earth, then everything's going to go well. And can I tell you, everything can be great on earth, and you can still be sick on the inside. You can still have things not going so well. And he said in verse 10, he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In other words, he had money and knew how to spend it. I refused my heart no pleasure, my heart to delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor, that when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, keyword here, meaningless. I have it, but it doesn't have any real meaning. It's meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained, Another key phrase here, under the sun. Now I want to submit to you that the reason why Solomon could have it all and still be incredibly miserable was all he had was the stuff under the sun. He was focused on the things under the sun. Just follow that for a moment. Go to verse 12. So he says, well, money and possessions didn't work, so let me turn my thoughts to consider wisdom. Maybe if I'll go get smart, maybe if I get another degree, maybe if I go up the food chain here in the the professional world, if I can just get smarter, wiser, more powerful, maybe that'll be it. He says, and I found out that's just a bunch of madness and folly too. He says, what more can the king's successor do than what's already been done? In other words, I tried to go there and figured out, guess what? Somebody had already done it before I got there. He said, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. But the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks around in darkness. But I came to realize that they actually end up in the same place. The same fate overtakes them. In other words, the dummy and the smart guy still can go to heaven or hell. It it didn't really get me that meaning that I was looking for. And he said in verse 15, I thought in my heart, well, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. And what then do I gain by being wise? I guess that didn't work. I said in my heart, this too is, key word, meaningless. Verse 16, for the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. And in days to come, both will be forgotten. And that's true. That's very true. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. And here's the key phrase I wanna focus on. And I'm actually dedicating this message to anyone who would say this next phrase in verse 17. So I hated life. I just don't like life. You know what I've learned? I've been doing ministry about 27 years now. You know what I've learned about people who don't like life? They're good at faking it. There could be someone on your row who's smiling, looking like they got it going on, and could be hating life. In fact, you can even hate life and have everything right on paper. That would have been Solomon, and I think it's a bunch of us here in America, We've got the stuff we want. We've got the brains we want. We've got the influence we want. We're doing all these things, but I'm still miserable on the inside. There's, there's no meaning attached to it, and I'm starting to hate life. Chapter one of, of Ecclesiastes, he actually outlines some of the symptoms, and I just want to read them to you very quickly. You guys that like to take extra notes, jot some of these little phrases down because, because there's a couple of symptoms that will help you point out whether you're there or not. And and the first thing he said, look at it with me in in, uh, verse, uh, verse two of chapter one. He said, this is out of the good news. I love it the way it says it. It says, life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working, but what do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. That would be the first symptom, if you like taking notes, is life will seem useless. In other words, you're doing things with the hope that it matters, and then you get there and it doesn't. Or check it out, you have an expectation of the way things ought to be. When you got there, it was disappointing. It was, there was a missed appointment, a disappointment. It's useless. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You feel that way sometimes. You do some things for your kids and you think, useless. <laughs> That's useless. I feel that way the most about two hours after all the Christmas presents were open. Y'all know what I'm talking about right there? Because it's that worse? you spend hundreds of dollars and they upstairs playing in the box or something, you know, and yeah, yeah, I can get you a box a lot cheaper, you know, and you, you just look at them and or when they open a gift or, they, you know, they open up a gift and, and they go and they just kind of put it down. and What's next? How, how many, you know, there's that, there's that, that, emotion. Come on, parents, be honest. This is church. There's, there, there's that emotion. like think I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> Look, I've made five of you. I can make another one. I can do that very easily. I take you out. I mean, there's, you, it, feel, it feels, this past Christmas, true story, my son, Joseph, my youngest son, Joseph, he always asks, he, every year, for a, or he wants something remote control, something remote control. That remote control. I said, all right, we'll get your remote control. And so this year, I kind of got into the gift. And, and I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up whenever you get into a gift like that. You really are. Because I went to the store and kind of several places, and I found this double-blade helicopter. Ba- the salesman, I said, dude, if that thing is so bad, land it on my hand. I just stuck my hand out there like this. And that guy, and he just landed it real softly right in my hand. I said, how much? I want it. You know, I was playing with it. I couldn't wait for him to open it so I could play with it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. So i gave it to Joseph, and I'm at, I had this whole buildup of, oh, he's going to love this, you know, kind of deal. And, and, and he did, by the way, so that, that, that was not a missed appointment there. He really actually enjoyed the gift a whole lot. So now we've got the whole deal of how to use it properly. So I said, son... Here's what you need to do. Now, we live in a cul-de-sac in our neighborhood, which means, you know, a big circle deal, you know, so, so I said, go, go out there, go out there in the middle of the cul-de-sac, middle of the, uh, right here, buddy, right here, cul-de-sac, middle of the cul-de-sac and fly out there so if the wind catches it or if you steer it wrong, it doesn't end up in a tree or on the roof. Yeah, sir, daddy, yeah, sir. So he said, you know, <laughs> so I said, say it back to me, say it back. I'm going to, I'm not going to fly it till I get out in the middle of the cul-de-sac. That's what I'm going to do. I won't even touch it till I get, yes. Yes, that. Do that. And so, true story. One leg in the house. One leg out on the front, front door open. Stepped out. I'm not like, I mean, like his half his body's still in the house and he's, he's, he's ready for it to fly, you know. And sure enough, on the roof. I mean, seconds. I heard. I just told him. to Open the door. Daddy. And you're smiling, it's Christmas, but you want to kill him. You just do. You just want. And so I said, okay. So I went down the garage, got a, got a fishing pole with a lure. I thought we could just barely pull it off. Broke every blade on that bad boy. <laughs> Completely ruined, lasted three seconds. Joseph is no longer with us. And uh, so anyway, he <laughs> you just, you just had that. Yeah. Come on, anybody. Are you out there? You just sometimes life feels that way. It's just useless. I'm working. I'm doing stuff. and nope. Just... All right. That's, that's the first. Solomon was there. All right, here, here's, here's the second thing. Check it out. It's in the next, um, go to verse 4, chapter 1. Verse two. He says, The sun rises, goes down, the wind blows round and round and back again, every river flows into the sea, the water returns right back where the river began, and then it all starts over again, and everything leads to, second symptom, weariness. First thing is useless, now we're at weariness. In other words, I'm just tired. Because it's just the same old, same old, every single week of my life. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, go to work, get up Saturday, mow the grass, go to church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mow the grass, go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, just, right, right, just, it's this, 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 it's this. Grind. It's this routine. He says, man, it just everything just keeps going back round and round again. And just, just I can't stand it. I can't stand it. And, I, and I'm getting tired. There are some of you out there that are tired beyond what rest can give you. And that's true. Because check it out. Real weariness does not come from working too hard. Real burnout doesn't come from doing too much. If you try to solve burnout by just stopping a little bit, it doesn't, it doesn't fix it. Because burnout doesn't come from doing too much. It comes from doing too much that doesn't matter. And that's true. When you're just in a grind or a routine that has no purpose or no meaning, it's going to mess you up regardless of how many hours you do it. Because all of us know that there are activities that actually will add life to you. So it's not activity that wears you out because there's activities that can refresh you and refuel you. We've got to get back to the meaning. We're, We're learning some things here about that business week says, we're living in the decade of weariness. They came to that conclusion when they did a survey where they asked people, what is the most common response to the question? Hey, man, how's it going? Most common response. Used to it be fine and you. Now today, the response to, hey, man, how you doing, is, man, I'm just tired. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't know, how you doing? I'm just tired. It's almost like it's cool to be tired or something. I'm just tired. How about you? I'm tired. And they'd have declared that we are in the decade of of weariness. And I think, again, it comes from we focus too much on the things under the sun. I think earth has become our reality. And earth will mess you up if this is your hope. Because I don't know if you noticed yet or not, but there's some troubles here. There's oil slicks, terrorists, stock market crashes. How many of y'all are encouraged? Don't you glad I came today? Praise God. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We're, we're going to go somewhere with this. All right. So that's where Solomon was. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm tired. Life seems useless. The third thing he said was in verse eight. And it says, and no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. The Last thing is it will be unfulfilling. You're going to get, feel it useless. It's going to feel weary. And then it's going to feel unfulfilling. I'm unfulfilled. There's something missing. I actually faced that about 10 years ago. I, uh, I was serving at a great church and man, I had a great job and everything on paper, again, would have been absolutely perfect. But on the inside, just something really missing. And here's the conclusion I want to draw for you so you can see this. Because the mistake that Solomon made was He was only focused on the things under the sun. He says, life became grievous, oppressive. I'm depressed because I'm just stuck on this stuff under the sun. You got to listen to this closely. Here's the the, the whole one prayer. And that is, if earth is your only reality and your only hope, God help you. If you're really hoping that this all works out. And by the way, from time to time, God does work out things here on earth. He will give you life abundant. But this can't be your only hope and your only reality. The people who live successfully pray this prayer. Lord, keep my eyes focused on the eternal. Give me eyes that see beyond this into something above this. More than just under the sun, give me me this stuff over the sun. Give me this stuff that, that is beyond this life, this mist, this vapor, and so my one prayer, and boy, do I ever need it really right now. When you watch someone who, again, I'm trusting the Lord for God to touch my dad and heal him. And, but if he goes on to be with Jesus, you better have that hope. And I wonder what people do that don't have the hope. That's why Paul says, we, we grieve when people die. Isn't that right? But we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. What's that hope? I'm gonna tell you that hope is the eternal. The hope is what we're focused on. Now, on a contrast, Solomon with a guy who did not have it going on. I mean, this is a guy who had trouble left and right. The Apostle Paul, but he lived a rough life. If you're not familiar with his rough life, he summarizes it in one little short portion of scripture in 2 Corinthians 11. You love guys that love to study more, go check out that list. Five times. He received the 39 lashes that Jesus received once that nearly killed Jesus, let me point out. Five times he was beaten with rods, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned. And I'm talking about not like, I'm not like with rocks, you know, that, you know. <laughs> I saw somebody out there going, at least he got a little relief. No, man, no. No, I'm talking like with the rocks. I mean, like they almost nearly killed him dead. And, and, and he was snake bit and spent a night and a day in the open sea, bobbing around the Mediterranean like a cork, you know, just 36 hours. Oh, whoa, man, You know what's going to get? Can you imagine? And yet he has the ability to say, look in your Bible there, 2 Corinthians chapter four. He has the ability to say this. And again, this is my one prayer for you today. It's gotta become our goal that regardless of what goes on on this planet, therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Now, wouldn't you like to be able to say that regardless of what's happening in the stock market, regardless of what's happening in the Gulf of Mexico, regardless of what's going on in Afghanistan, regardless of what's going on with your daddy, you don't lose heart. Well, I do, and that's my prayer. I want to be in the middle of trouble and still have an attitude and a focus on something bigger and better. He said, even though, he says, we, lose, we don't lose heart because even though outwardly we are wasting away, and boy, isn't that the truth? He says, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Now, time out just a second. That's not true. His his troubles were neither light nor momentary. They were were hard and lasted a long time. But yet he said that because that's the way it felt when you have this prayer. They feel light and momentary. These light and momentary troubles are achieving for us in eternal glory, check it out. This is key, that outweighs them. Can I give you a great little theory of life here? And that is, people have problems. You got problems? I got problems. All God's children got problems. If you don't have a problem, if you don't think you have a problem, guess what? That's your problem. You got problems. <laughs> we, got, we all have problems, right? Here, here's the deal. If you try to go through life just trying to solve your problems, you're going to be a miserable person. Because guess what? You might solve them. You might not. And if you do, another one's going to pop up. But Paul gives us the secret here. He says, the secret to problems isn't to solve your problem. The secret is to have something in your life bigger than your problems. Don't try to solve the problem. Outweigh the problem. Have something bigger and better that makes that problem seem, seem smaller. It's, it's, a, it's a true secret to life. He says, says, I found some that outweighs them. And then here's the prayer. Here's my prayer for you. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. That's earth stuff. But what is unseen. That's eternal stuff, heavenly stuff. Because what is seen is temporary. And what is unseen is, say the word out loud. What is unseen is eternal. eternal. That's my prayer for you, Lord. Give us an eternal focus. That we walk through the troubles of life and we go through whatever you're going through. Maybe it's your marriage, your kids, your finances, your your emotions. Maybe you have sickness and problems and whatever it might be today. You've got pressures and stuff. And Can I tell you, the prayer that we need to pray is, Lord, give us an eternal focus. Give us a focus on the things that actually matter. The bigger, better, greater things of life So here's what I want to do. I want to give you, because I love practical Christianity. I don't like just getting motivated and saying, okay, now what? Let me give you four action steps you can walk out of these doors today and actually begin to do that'll keep you more eternally minded than earthly minded. Four little action steps. They're very simple. They're very powerful. And I'll give you some illustrations how, how you can actually use them. Here's the first way. If you want to become more eternally focused so that the stuff on earth seems smaller than it really actually feels right now, Here's the first thing to do, and that is pray, pray. Well, of course. So, Chris, I didn't need you to write down that one. Well, let me, let me help maybe redefine prayer for you just a bit, because I think most people think prayer is that time where you dump stuff on God, or you tell him how he needs to be doing things here on this earth. Like, God was thinking, well, I never thought of that. That's good stuff. Let me write that down. No, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. Let me give you a great definition for prayer. Prayer is the process where heaven becomes your reality. Prayer is a process. I don't know about you, but I go in the place of prayer, I'm loaded down, I'm mad, I'm confused, I'm hurting, I'm whatever. And through the process of spending time with God, it all flip-flops. The problems of life that seem so big and the God that seems so small, they just reverse places. Which, by the way, the easiest way to pray is to worship. Worship. Really, worship is the process where you come in and it's like the load is lifted because you get a different reality. Again, I would say to you, if earth is your only reality, God help you. But when eternal things become your reality, when you... Realign your mind and your heart to the things of God, which is what the process of prayer is really all about. It's why, by the way, check it out now. All of us love to read the Psalms, right? And if you ever read the Psalms, notice with me how different the first few verses are from the last verses. He starts them off. David starts off, where are you, God? I'm mad. I'm upset, and my enemies are everywhere. Get him, God, and he don't even say things like annihilate my enemies. May the flies of a thousand camels find their armpits. You know, he's just mad. <laughs> he's mad. He just wants. But you read the last few verses; they're strikingly different than the first few verses. Check it out with me. I'm just, I, I, not, not many people have really noticed that. It, there's some. Di- it's, it's. But God, I put my hope in you. But God, I, He just changes his attitude. What happened? Process. It was the process of worship, the process of prayer. And that's why you and I need it. Here's how Colossians says it. Colossians says in chapter three, verse one, it says, since you've been raised with Christ. See, we always want God to come down. God wants us to come up. I don't care what y'all say. That was good. That deserved at least one amen. I, don't, I just thought it was. Anyway, so. Since you've been raised with Christ is what we need to be. He says, "Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things." That's prayer. When we got the news about my dad, and be very honest with you, it felt like a punch. I, it, I physically felt this punch in my gut. I actually felt pain in my stomach. It was awful. He's my hero. He's genuinely my hero. I love him with all my heart. And we've been so close for so many years and we've done ministry together. He's a phenomenal man of God. It was like a kick in the gut. And I had appointments that day. I was actually at the office. And um, I told my assistant, I said, back everything up 30 minutes. I I need some alone time. And I went in my office and I just turned on some worship. I didn't even pray that much, to be honest with you. I didn't even sing that much. I even listened to it more than I even sang it. But I just paced and worshiped and thought about God. I'm gonna tell you, it didn't even take 30 minutes before my reality changed. And there are some of you here today that need to do that. Here's the second thing. This one will surprise you. And that is, if you want more of an eternal focus, serve. Serve. I am convinced that there are a bunch of us... (laughs) Who are earthly minded because we keep focusing on earthly stuff. But if you'll like actually even get involved in something, can I tell you, my wife and I have led small groups at our church since the church began. And inevitably, you know, if you've ever done ministry, you'll find out the devil will come and attack you and get your wife. And, you know, people are coming over in an hour and you start, and something comes up between Tammy and I, you know, and there's just nothing worse than, you know, but, but if we didn't have the small group coming over, We'd probably still be fighting right now, you know what I'm saying? But the fact that people are coming over, we had to work it out. Can I tell you how many problems we've solved on Saturday night? Because I got to preach the next day. Like, honey, we've got to be friends because I just can't get up there like this, you know? And (laughs) check it out. Some of you don't have that. You don't have a reason to work out your stuff. And that's why I'm challenging the church. I'm calling all of you who call Gateway Home, serve. Lead a small group, for heaven's sakes. Get on a camera. Play some drums, sing, pass out a bulletin, park a car. Do something, just do something, do something. And what you're, what you're gonna realize is that you're gonna be doing something that's a collective part of making a difference. When a person runs a camera or when they do whatever they do or hold a baby or Whatever you do do around here, you know, when you spend time with the kids in children's church, whatever you do, you're a collective part of lives being changed. And watch how different your church experience will be when you have that kind of focus. It's true. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter six, do not work for food that spoils. I want to tell you, that's our Monday through Friday. He says, but work for food things that endure to eternal life. Find something that you're doing that matters. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's a true key. It's a true secret. Here's the third one. I really don't even need to teach this one much here at Gateway because you are the model for it. And that is give, give. And I'm not talking about tithing. Tithe is the Lord's. That's that that's, You're not even giving when you tithe. That belongs to him. I'm talking about just living this life of generosity. And I'm not even talking about necessarily money. I'm just talking about living a life that thinks, what could I do with the stuff I have to make a difference in that person for eternal life? What could I do? We have these little cards at our church. That we, we call them random acts of kindness cards. They're like business size cards, and we give them out by the tens of thousands to our people. They take stacks of them. They simply say, a little something extra to show you God loves you. And we just say, do nice stuff for people. Pay for their coffee in a Starbucks line. Hand it to the cashier. Tell them it's paid for and give them the little card. And just, just do stuff. Just be nice. Serve. Give. Do stuff for people. And watch how different your day will be. And the other day, we had a lady who actually gave a card. She had gone to um, Schlotsky's to get a little deli sandwich. She's in the drive-thru line. She decided to pay for the lady behind her, gave the, the card, said, would you mind giving this to her and tell her it's paid for well, that lady called our church. She says I was going home to commit suicide. That was good for whatever reason Schlotsky's was going to be her final meal. I don't know why, but anyway, I, was, I know. I think mean, I can think of a better one. I mean, game baby, true lux. <laughs> Let's eat. You know. Anyway, so. But, but she said, she says, but that card reminded me, she goes, I'm telling you, it saved my life. Now, how many of you know that lady's life was worth 10 bucks? That's right. And I'm just talking about living your life in such a way. Now, I announced that in the church and I still don't know which person in our church gave it, but I hope they heard it. And I promise you, that person's thinking, that's how you spend 10 bucks. (laughs) You save somebody's life. I'm telling you, church, we've got to live with this eternal perspective and it changes everything. I'm going to tell you that day, that lady who gave the card and the money, that day, that lady's problems became very small. Here's the last one, and that is share Christ. Share Christ. I'm finding there's people, Christians all over that have st- kind of stopped doing this. And we need to look for opportunities to remind people of the hope of heaven. I was on a Southwest Airlines flight about four weeks ago, I was flying from New Orleans back to. Birmingham, and I wasn't going to talk. I'm not much of a talker on a plane. I usually sleep, you know. But this lady next to me just did the, oh, hey, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. She goes, well, duh. We're all passengers. I said, no. <laughs> I said, a pastor. You know, she had, she has been having a few. Anyway, so, um, and so she goes, eh, oh, I didn't know, a pastor. Oh, you know, so anyway, we t- <laughs> So we talked, and she goes, well, I don't like Christians. And I said, well, me neither, because I knew what she was talking about. I knew the Christians she'd been hanging out with, probably, to make a statement like that. I said, boy, girl, you and me both. She goes, what do you mean? You know, I thought you were a pastor. I said, well, I said, I know what you're talking about. And I began to explain to her how Jesus didn't really want her to go to church a bunch. And she even asked me, is drinking wrong? I said, well, you know what? That's not the most important thing right now, actually. God just wants a relationship with you he'll get all that stuff after you figure that out first. He just, he just loves you. She goes, well, I've never heard that before. I said, well, it's in the Bible. And from New Orleans to Birmingham, I shared Christ with her and didn't lead her to the Lord that day. But I said, hey, Tanya, if you'll watch our service, because it was on a Saturday. I said, tomorrow, our, our services are live online. Just watch and I'll give you a shout out if you will. She goes, okay. So I did. I got there. I said, hello, everybody. Welcome to Church of the Highlands." Day. I want to say hello to our campuses. And I want to give a special shout out to Tanya, who I met on the Southwest Airlines flight yesterday. Girl, I told you I'd do it. God bless you. This message is for you today. Well, I got an email three days later. It said, dear passenger Chris. Tanya. <laughs> She said, it was nice meeting you on flight 35 this week. I'm currently watching your webcast. Thanks for the shout out. Been thinking about a lot of what you said on the plane, specifically about making my relationship with God personal. It touched me. And I realized that what I've been thinking about Christians is actually ridiculous. No one's explained it to me that way. Thank you so much. And thanks for the personal message today and explaining to me what a relationship with God is all about. I can see why your church has grown and you have such a t- relevant teaching style. I think you've got a new online watcher for some time in me. Thanks again, and I'm ready to surrender to Christ. Tanya. Yeah. And that day, my problems were small. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for the church gateway, that you would give them eyes of focus on the eternal. There are those here today who are struggling, hurting, tired, weary. Life seems useless, unfulfilled. God, I pray today that like the apostle Paul, that we would see the stuff that we go through, Lord. And God, you'd help us. Give us an eternal focus, I pray, God. Give us eyes that see the eternal, something that outweighs it. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, those of you at Harkins, just give me 60 seconds. If you're here today, say, Chris, like Tanya, I do not have a personal relationship with Jesus or I have had one. But I have walked away from God, and I can tell you right now, I'm not sure where my relationship with God is. He seems a million miles away, and I want to know him today. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I simply want to pray for you. But you're ready to make a decision to follow Christ today. I want you to put your hand up real high until I see it. Put it right back down, Chris. Pray for me. Pray for me. Yes. Anybody else? Just pray for me. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Pray for me. I just I, I want that. Thank you. Anybody else? Just no one looking around. You want that prayer? Way over here on the side. God bless you. Back here. Back here. Thank you. Anybody Anybody else? It's a decision I'm making today. I want to know God. Thank you back there in the back, sir. Over here. God bless you. Anybody else? It's a decision I'm making. Thank you right here. God bless you. Thank you. God, seize your hand, your heart. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Any person in this room can join us. Say, God, I love you. I need you. Today, I give you my life. Forgive me for going my own way, doing my own thing. Come live inside of me and change me. Today, I make you the Lord of my life forgive me. Today, I give you my life, my all. In your name, I pray. God, I thank you for this great church. Bless them today with an eternal focus. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand, clap of praise?